The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Besides Still Waters. Our conversation today is going to be about living with loss and the presence of God. Living with loss and the presence of God. Just as a backdrop, we are thinking about uh, Matthew chapter 14, uh, the death of John the Baptist and uh, the Lord Jesus receiving this news that his cousin uh, was beheaded by Herod. And uh, responding to this news, we learn in at around uh, verse 13 and 14 of uh, Matthew chapter 14, uh, we are told that Jesus, having heard the news, went away from that place by ship to a desert place. He went away by ship to a desert place. Now, upon hearing the news, the first thing that our Lord Jesus sought was solitude with God. Solitude. And uh, to set the stage for where our conversation will be going, uh, I, I want to emphasize the importance of solitude and being in the presence of God because this is the secret to the strength, power, and growth of a Christian. It's needful to uh, enjoy solitude, to come apart from the noise, uh, the hustle, uh, voices crowding in, and the ultimate benefit of cultivating uh, time with God is to grow in one's sensitivity to hearing the still, small voice of the Spirit of God. You know, over the 40 plus years of being a Christian, uh, many have expressed in conversation that they have uh, difficulty discerning the voice of the Spirit uh, through the Word and as they live out their life events. And so a lot of people have said to me, you know, sometimes, Christian, it's, it's, it's difficult for me to know and hear God's voice. How, do I, how would I know? But when crisis comes, we often neglect the most obvious solution. And we have the pattern set forth in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. He lost his cousin. 
uh, a fellow soldier in the kingdom of God and, and the, the, the battle against uh, the powers of darkness, if you will. Uh, the forerunner to the Messiah coming to the earth is now gone. And uh, what is the most obvious solution for our Lord? He separates himself, as he often does, to get into the presence of God. I will venture to say, since our Lord Jesus experienced life just as we do, that burden, that void that was created cannot be filled by uh, external events, but by going into the presence of God and remaining there until the void is satiated, the burden is lessened. And my exhortation to you, my friend, is to frequent his presence until your awareness of who he is and his voice through his word grows into your life. I mentioned also that loss creates an evident void. You know, the end of life is, in fact, death. I mean, <laughs> death has a 100% track record. It's always on point. It's the common human experience. And Jesus was acquainted uh, with the martyrs, uh, being Jehovah, the eternal God himself. Uh, he saw the history of the nation of Israel and how they, they killed the ones whom God sent to uh, back in, you know, prior to Calvary uh, to turn the people back to God. Uh, often the, pro the uh, life of a prophet didn't end well. And the Lord Jesus even rebuked his hearers to that end. And he knew as well that his suffering was not far ahead from this point in the narrative uh, that uh, Matthew writes. And so, uh, you know, as the scripture says in, in Proverbs thirteen twelve, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. When you lose a loved one, and more so, uh, perhaps a, a fellow believer that has been instrumental in, in, uh, uh, in, in your life, in your growth, in your development as a young Christian, uh, I, for example, can look back at my life and see a handful of individuals who are now with the Lord, but they had a significant part in, in my development as a young Christian. And I am indebted to these men and women who invested themselves. But when they died by virtue of age or illness, and, and uh, it, it created a void. I, I, I truly uh, felt that loss intimately. And what I have found over the years is that healing Healing is not obtained by, uh, and it is good to share our burdens with others that love us. Uh, it is good to involve ourselves with activities that we find enjoyable. But healing in the human heart and the soul is obtained the way the gospel writers pointed out as they observed or were told of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, he sought repeatedly, 
extended times in the presence of God. Extended times. Not a quick few minutes, but of remaining in the presence of God until it is clear to you beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are in his holy, divine presence. You cannot rush this event. And then coming out of this, uh, as the scripture said that Jesus, having heard it, he went away thence to a, a, by ship to a desert place. And we are told in verse 13 that the crowds, having heard of it, followed him on foot from the cities. And going out, he saw a great crowd and was moved with compassion about them and healed their sick. Now, this brings us to uh, uh, a very important point with respect to loss, experiencing loss in life and ministry, and attending to the needs of others, the spiritual needs of others and, and the practical needs of others. Our Lord Jesus was prepared, if you will, to perform a significant miracle by multiplying uh, <laughs> you know, bread and fish. He multiplied the food sufficient to feed thousands. But that miracle came, uh, followed, if you will, was the successor of his time alone with God. And I want to say this to you, my, my uh, fellow believer. You are ill-equipped to render adequately a service for the kingdom of God. You are ill-equipped to render adequately a service to the people of God. You are ill-equipped to render a service to one who is in great need if you have not been sensitized to the presence and grace and power of God that is obtained only by extended times alone with God. You are ill-equipped. And so our Lord Jesus, coming off of the loss of his cousin and the forerunner, coming to a uh, if you will, a, a place of solitude, being in God's presence. And there remaining, we're not told how long, but not too long after that, he saw the people coming out to him, and of course he performs this great miracle. And we're not going to spend time on the actual miracle and, 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 um, and what was done. The, the, the point of our conversation today is the need for solitude in God's presence. And so the life lesson, if we could turn a corner here, but the life lesson is that loss is inevitable. Aging, illness, circumstances will take people out of our lives, not always by death, but perhaps uh, a change of venue, a new job, takes someone to a new, a new place, a new city, a new town, a new state, a new country. And so our Social circle is typically undergoing some a bit of a change. 
And uh, we saw this, or we see this in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the disciple is constrained, as I've been reiterating, uh, to enter into the very one who is the life giver. This is our supreme opportunity to equip ourselves to minister life-giving grace, not only uh, to those that are in need, but to find that God, by his indwelling spirit and the promises and word of God, is able to strengthen us and fill that void. You know, the, the wisest man, Solomon, said in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 7 that it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men. And then he said this, and the living lay it to his heart. He places in his heart clearly this nugget of wisdom that I'm going to die one day and I must make good of this life. I'm going to die. The person that I am now grieving the loss of, I'm going to end there one day. And between now and that event, I must maximize the quality of my life, and especially since Ecclesiastes is written about life under the sun and our accountability and uh, the fact that we are answerable to God, the, the, the house of mourning, the time of loss, is the opportunity to reset our vision and to set our feet squarely to the finish line. What is the finish line? The judgment seat of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Bema the place where we are evaluated for life and service. Now that we have been a Christian, now that we have been sealed by the Spirit of God, now that we understand clearly the purpose for which we are living, when I come to that place in my works, as, as Paul in his writings have, have, uh, have, has indicated, when my works are evaluated, passed through the fire, tested to see their quality, that something is left for the glory in the, uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, that something was done for the interests of the kingdom of God and not ourselves, that we didn't waste the opportunity. And very often, loss is the life event that resets our vision, that resets our purpose and nerves our endeavor to live the righteousness of God, his interest to walk in holiness, experiencing loss. In uh, 1 Kings 17, Elijah's ministry, there was a widow who died. I'm sorry, her son died. And, uh, you know, of course, she was instrumental in, in serving the needs of, of uh, the man of God. Uh, but at one point, her her son died, and she's you know she comes to the man of God, and and she asks him, you know, have you have you come to call my 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 sins to remembrance? You know, very often when we experience loss, one of the things that we do is we we sometimes conclude that God is punishing me for something I've done in the past, which is a clear indicator that we 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 are ignorant of the grace. And compassion and love of God for us. 
that he's not punitive in the sense of just wanting to you know, punish mankind. But he wants to show that his grace is sufficient during that time. And of course, uh, she comes to the man of God and uh, she, you know, she presents her son to him. And uh, it was obvious that her son is dead. And so Elijah takes him and places him on, on you know, she made a room for him and, and he places this child on, on, uh, on the bed. And, and what does he do? He cries out to God. He cries out to God. And he says essentially to Jehovah, Oh Lord, my God, have you brought evil upon this widow for whom, you know, with whom I sojourn? I, I'm the one that's staying at her house I, you know, when I'm passing through and the good that she has done. And now her son is dead. And we are told that, you know, he stretched himself upon the, the, the child three times and cried to Jehovah and said, you know, Jehovah, let this child's soul come into him again. And we are told that the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came into him again and he revived. And here's the point I want to make to you. We are given pictures of people who have been raised from the dead. And it is clear that the, the life-giving power to restore a human being back to the body resides with God alone. However, in the time of loss, <laughs> when the hope is deferred, when that vacuum exists and there's nothing we could do, no activity we can engage in that will bring wholeness again. It is only found in the presence of God, waiting before him, waiting on him, engaging with him, supplicating him, worshiping him, praising him, interceding for others. It is a time when God and I are alone to the exclusion of all else, fostering this intimacy with the living God himself, even our Lord Jesus. And I've mentioned this repeatedly in Matthew chapter 6, how he exhorted his hearers to, you know, not to, to uh, say your prayers for men to hear and see, but enter into a closet, a, a place of solitude with God alone. And he says, your father, which sees in secret, will render it to you, and in the original languages, and in, in, in the Christian Javois interpretation, <laughs> what was told to God in secret will be answered in public by his grace and power. And so, when loss comes, my friend, when the void is created, when the heart aches and feels like it's breaking, the antidote, the bomb, the healing is not with friends or more entertainment or immersing in one's hobbies. True healing comes from spending time before the living God himself, quieting your hearts, waiting upon him, expressing not only your love for him, but your trust that his providential care for you has allowed this loss and you are coming to him 
to be the one not only that fills the void, but he truly is the life that your heart longs for. The life that your heart longs for. So loss, if I would encapsulate a life lesson, loss often results in introspection and at times anger at God for allowing this loved one to be taken, this loss to be experienced. And there are times that the believer, depending on their life experience, might, might feel a sense of guilt because they interpret this loss as a punitive measure by God. Perhaps if I had done more, God would not have allowed this event to happen. But not so, my friend. Not so. The Lord Jesus set the uh, standard for dealing with loss. He set the standard. And we see, of course, in the life the losing of John the Baptist, he separates himself. But not only that, um, we'll see after <laughs> the feeding of the multitudes, I think it's just extraordinary, but uh, after he fed the needy multitudes, and again, we're sort of turning the corner, uh, we are told that he compelled his disciples to go on board ship, to go on before him to the other side, and then he dismissed the crowds. And having dismissed the crowds, he went up into the mountain apart to pray. So here we are. He loses his cousin. He loses a fellow soldier. He loses the forerunner. And what does he do? He separates himself, goes into the presence of God, spends extended time with God alone. And if you will, having been restored, reset, you know, perhaps having a clear view how his life is going to end because he knew how his life was going to end. And we will see so in the succeeding chapters in Matthew. He looks at the crowd coming out, wanting to find him, wanting to be in the presence of God, wanting healing and restoration, wanting relief from the things that burden their lives. And he has, if you will, a, a fathomless reservoir of compassion for people. And he heals them, heals their sick, and feeds them. He healed their sick, and he feeds the multitude. And when this great miracle, this clear, clearly and evident sign that in him is the capacity to keep blessing without end. He could take food, limited as it is, and multiply it and multiply it and multiply it to the extent that it feeds thousands. What does he do? He sends the people away, sends his disciples to the other side, and he does what is the most important, uh, he performs the most important event in the life of in his life, and certainly the life of the Christian, and that is he comes apart to be alone with God. My friends, this is the heart. This is the sum and substance of beside still waters. 
It is a time when you and I are encouraged to take, to make, to steal, to grasp, to pursue with all our might. Time with God. Time with God. And so, the time with God was the preparation for service in feeding the multitudes. Ministry. Many of us want uh, an opportunity for ministry, and we should. We want our lives to count for the kingdom of God. Of course, I do. I know you do. But ministry is only effective and meets the spiritual needs of people when we are, if you will, God-saturated. When we become like Moses, when he spent the 40 days and 40 nights in the mountain with God, when he was, you know, <laughs> having his ministry established, the lawgiver, when he came down, his face radiated with the very the, the essence of what he was experiencing. Unknown to him, he radiated the glory of God so much so that the Israelites had to veil his face. And of course, that has uh, you know, spiritual implications. We learn in the New Testament, and I won't go there. The point I'm making here is you and I cannot spend extended time alone with God and be the same person again. It's impossible. So we are prepared for ministry as we are made sensitive to who God is in our lives, in our walk, in our living. And our objective is to be saturated, to be filled with his spirit. That's what, that's what Paul exhorted the uh, Christians at Ephesus. Be not drunk with wine, he says. Don't, you know, don't be inebriated, but be filled with the Spirit. Oh, my friends, this is it right here. The Christian's power, the Christian's grace, the Christian's life. Sensitivity to the presence of God. And I want to, I want to go one step further. It is there that we learn who we really are, that without him, apart from his grace, we can't do a thing. It's what our Lord Jesus said, abide in me. Let my word abide in you. Apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. Nothing. And if you hunger for more life, my friend, if you are feeling spiritually empty, if you are serving people for the kingdom of God, and not having extended time alone with God. You're serving people with fumes. <laughs> you are not fueled by the Spirit of God. You're, you're running on fumes, my friend. You are depending on the flesh to do what only the Spirit of God can do in your life and through your life. Let me hurry on. And so in... in, in, in uh, Matthew 14, our Lord Jesus achieved, of course, another great work. And, and we often strive for achieving some significance by hitting a goal you know, in our culture and in you know, Western culture. It's like, you know, you, you've got to be a goal setter. Set goals. 
And goals are good. I've set goals. I'll be perfectly candid with you. <laughs> this podcast was a goal to take three and a half decades of, of, of life and service and ministry and take it beyond where it is because, because of that life experience, some of the things that I'm sharing with you, I've had to learn myself. I've seen in the life of, of others. What works, what doesn't work, and why? So we all want to achieve significance by, by you know, hitting a goal. And goals are good as it, it, it represents a positive, productive, focused life. Absolutely. You know, there's a saying, aim for nothing, hit it every time. <laughs> However, a walk with God which centers us and protects our hearts from pride and dependence on self for the substance of the Christian life is only achieved as we spend time alone with God. The primary objective is intimacy with God. After experiencing great loss, and now, secondly, after achieving great success. It resets our focus on our dependence upon the living God as the highest goal of the Christian's life to if you will, hold the hand of the one who governs the heaven and the earth. Being in the presence of one who never has to stand, who never says, oh my, what did I do? He commands all things by the word of his power. All events will serve his purpose. He will culminate all things one day in the kingdom, the glorious kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, a new Jerusalem coming down where God dwells with men. He has laid out for us what he will achieve and he will bring it to pass. This is the God in whose presence we are. The immutable one, the unchanging one, the holy one, the righteous God, the one in whom there is limitless power, limitless wisdom, presence everywhere at all times. We are in presence of the living God and to be there, to live there and to take that awareness out of the closet, out of the time of intimacy and to walk every day, to go to work, to mingle with people, to raise our children, to encourage our friends to deal with loss, to deal with success and illness, to run a government or, or a state or a municipality to be a CEO, being saturated with the presence and power of the Spirit of God in our life. This, my friend, is the glory of the Christian life. Christ in you, Paul can write to the Colossian church, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the magnificence of the sweetness of the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, revealing himself through our mortal bodies to a sin 
cursed cosmos. That is not achieved by human intellect and effort. That is achieved the way our Lord Jesus showed. Time alone with God. And so, after that notable miracle, of course, there is, uh, you know, 12 baskets full left over. There was enough for all, all the, the, the core disciple group. <laughs> and of course, they go, uh, they go apart to, um, you know, the other side. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump ahead to <clears throat> another uh, notable, um, um, uh, if you will, miracle. And that is the, the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we are told in chapter 17 of Matthew's gospel, after six days, Jesus takes with him Peter and James and John and brings them into a high mountain apart, and he was transfigured. He was metamorphosized before them. And then uh, gospel writer uh, Matthew says that his face shone as the sun. His face was like the sun. His garments became white as the light. And Moses and Elijah appeared talking with him, the three of them. Oh, my word, what a, what a scene. And, and you know... <laughs> The Lord Jesus, by this point, is on the downward slope to the end of his ministry. His end is coming. His end is coming. It's nearer. When you read, because not too long after that, he begins to tell them of uh, what will be following, how he will suffer. And, of course, he asks them, you know, who, uh, who do the people say that he is? And, and, and they said some Elijah, some the, the prophet, and so forth. And he asked them, you know, who do you say that I am? And so <laughs> I would ask you this question as we think of the transfiguration and, and the fact that again, yet again, he now takes his three key men and he takes them up. And what do they experience? <laughs> the glory of God, being alone with God. The transfiguration, the metamorphosis occurs, my dear Christian friend. <laughs> the change that you long for, the growth that you long for, the victory over the things that beset you are achieved as you humble yourself before the God of heaven and earth, the one to whom Power is limitless. Grace is always sufficient. He will do the work of changing you. You can't change yourself. We can, none of us can change ourselves. Now, I know you can go into your bookstore or go on Amazon and see a, a plethora of books, about you know, uh, self-help books, if you will. Wonderful. Have at it. But a change from the inside out, from the core of your being, is only achieved as we cultivate sacred time alone with God. And if a doctor were to tell you, you have but weeks to live, because from this point in the ministry of our Lord Jesus, there were just perhaps a handful of weeks before his ministry would be ending. What would your priority be? He begins to tell them of his end. The cross, the cross was the finish line for our Lord Jesus Christ. The cross, the brutal, agonizing, 
uh, capital punishment that the Romans uh, exacted on criminals. That was his end. And what does he do? <laughs> what does he do? Oh, my word. It's, it's, it's. He prepares them. He prepares them for that end. And he tells them that they are invited to take up their cross and follow him. That if a man loves his life, he'll lose it. But if he loses his life for Jesus' sake, he'll gain it. And I can't imagine how these words must have sounded as it landed on their ears, but if I could capsulate it, he was almost telling them to embrace this specific end before it comes. We are called to live as crucified people. What did Paul write to the Galatian church? He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. In the original languages, I have been and I still am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. As I'm living, Paul is saying, I'm a crucified man. I've embraced the cross. We're called every day to live crucified lives. And you say to yourself, how can that be? How do I get there? How do I go the way of the cross? Paul can write to the Roman Christians in, in Romans chapter 6 that we were, we were united with the Lord Jesus Christ in his death and we shall be also in his resurrection. And then later on at about the 11th verse he says, Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. I am in Christ right now as you are hearing my voice. Christ lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. Now you say, well, I don't feel crucified. No, it is a work that was accomplished by God at Calvary. When our Lord Jesus was being crucified, we are told of the malefactor, the, the criminal on the right, the criminal on the left, the Lord Jesus in the center. But Paul later on <laughs> in Romans says, oh, there was one more. There was a fourth person. You were crucified with Christ. I was crucified with Christ. And when I look at the sacred event of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, I own the fact that my crimes against God were dealt with there. And I too, by an act of God, was crucified with our Lord Jesus. And when I own this by faith, that when Christ was crucified, I was crucified. This is what Paul was saying. When he was crucified, I was crucified. I live, but the life I'm living now, I'm living by faith. I am looking to God to do in me a work of manifesting the life of the Lord Jesus through my mortal body because he promised to do so as I abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. He, by an act of divine metamorphosis, if you will, changes who I am, changes me from within, changes my loves, changes my likes, changes my passions, changes me, makes me 
day by day, a new creation. And as I go out into the world, having spent time alone with God, having waited upon God to change me, unknown to me, people are looking at Christ in the face of Christian. And the same can be said about you. Time alone with God. And I want to say this, it's not so much the place, like, okay, I'm, I'm going into my closet today. It's really the mindset, for lack of a better word. Uh, there's a park about seven minutes from my home. I've spent hours at this park, alone with God, my Bible in a hymn book, just saturating myself taking time to hear the voice of the Spirit of God through the Word, waiting upon God silently, confessing my faults and sins, praising and worshiping God, uh, interceding for those far and near. And I have to tell you, every time I pass that park, my heart sort of leaps for joy because the most sacred, blessed times have been there. Winter, summer, spring, fall. Made no difference. Sometimes I was the only one. Uh, scores of acres. But I felt perfectly at home in the presence of God. How do you get there? Time alone with God. Cultivate that disposition. And while you are there, day after day, week after week, month after month, God will make a change in your being. You will never be the same again. You will never be the same person. You will not be that person who lives for self, who endeavors to save his life. No, my friend. Oh, my dear friend, I appeal to you as we are constantly thinking and talking about walking with God beside still waters. Life comes we accustom ourselves to God's holy presence. We begin to become one who learns to deny himself. We begin to become one who takes up his cross. We begin to become one who loses his life for Jesus' sake. And so as we seek to go out into the world, Oh, may God do in our lives what he does in that uh, weird, ugly-looking caterpillar that at some point in its life, when it's just about ready to enter into the world in a different form, it wraps itself in its substance in a cocoon, and as time passes, a change is effected apart from the human eye. And in due time, what comes forth? A new creature, a new creation, lovely, and can soar beyond the slow-crawling life of the caterpillar. May God do in our lives this same metamorphosis to change us, to cause that Christ would live in us and through us that we would go forth into the world even when we experience loss, 
or we experience success, by the grace of God, they will be equal to us because we have accustomed ourselves to be fed by the very presence of the living God. Oh, Father, help us today to find in you all that our souls desire. For Jesus' sake. Thank you for joining Besides Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Besides Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.